All right. Uh, hello, everybody. This is the Coast to Coast Combat Hour. As always, Ed Carbajal here with Matthew Hawkins. Brought to you by All Access MMA. This week's guest is an OG from the uh, MMA news game. Hunter, homeboy, homestack, he who walks behind the rows, and I don't know how many other nicknames you've picked up along the years. <laughs> but uh, so uh, welcome to the podcast, Hunter. Thanks for having me, dude. It's been a long time in the making. Feels really good to be back. And, and I'm partial to the Malachi references, you know. You you coined that on your own. That was good stuff. Those ones stick the best. <laughs> So, so Hunter, I, I, we've this is the first time we've we've spoken met, but I, I do recognize you obviously from, from MMA Twitter, and and you've had a lot of interactions with a lot of the same people I do on Twitter over the last uh, several years. Uh, for fans that don't really know kind of your history, why don't you, you know, without getting too crazy, why don't you tell us how you kind of got involved in the MMA world a little bit, um, at least for the MMA fans? And I know you you started working, I believe, for the Pittsburgh Pirates and some baseball stuff. Um, why don't you just give us a quick little breakdown of of how you got where you're at for sure man so in college i graduated with a degree in journalism so i was working for the school's newspaper was the arts and entertainment editor there wvu west virginia university around my junior year junior senior year i started working for bleacher report for their mma section actually um i just i always visited bleacher report mma you know like newbies getting into the sport love the list love like the fun little articles that bleacher report does so i was always there and one day they just had a, an ad on the side that was like, interested in writing for us? Apply now. So I was like, yeah, sure. Journalism student seems like a good way to get in. So I got in there, started writing, kind of worked my way up their ladder till I was eventually kind of covering events and things like that for them. Then I went from there to MMAfighting.com, from there to FlowCombat.com. So then I ran Flow Combat with my one of my best friends ever, my mentor, Dwayne Finley. We ran Flow Combat for a couple years. Then I went from there and find, and got the opportunity to come back home. I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So there was a website, dkpittsburghsports.com, fully credentialed. They cover the Steelers, Pirates, Penguins, University of Pittsburgh. I got the opportunity to work for them. And, man, I've always been a huge Steelers fan, huge Pittsburgh boy at heart. I was like, man, this is just – this opportunity is too cool right at home. I knew MMA would always be there, you know, if I wanted to come back. And I still followed along – a little bit it's not the same as you guys know when you're not constantly working in the game man you fall behind quick like i was just teasing you guys off camera i was like let's please not talk about this upcoming card too deep because <laughs> i i don't know some of these names i'll be honest with you i don't know some of these fighters anymore but i got that opportunity man to cover the steelers pirates and university of Pitt basketball just couldn't pass it up and it was an awesome opportunity and that led me now I just started my own site about three weeks ago. So I branched off. I've always wanted to do my own thing, man. From the jump, I've wanted to build my brand and do my own thing. COVID finally gave me that opportunity, the time I needed, you know, to just sit back and really work on my own stuff. So I took it. Now I got my own site, homestech.com. I already got a couple of clients there. We're rolling there. It's fun, man. It's digital marketing, social media, SEO, things like that. Help you out with writing blog posts, obviously content creation, pretty much anything you need. I'm there to help you out and uh, just keep building this thing on my own, man. And and it's also giving me the chance to dabble in MMA a little bit again. So that's really fun, man. Yeah, I brought up the site for folks to see it that are watching the video portion of the podcast. I mean, it's uh, you d- for somebody doing something on their own. You do you do some nice work. Thanks, uh, dude. I look <laughs> a lot that- better. I look a lot better photoshopped, as you can see. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it helps that you have good textured hair. I mean, uh, Matt's been teasing me uh, throughout this whole pandemic about my uh, 
my my changing hairdo. I'm surprised you didn't comment on it because I usually rock a buzz cut, as you know. I know. And, uh, I've had like several different hairdos during this whole thing, so. Uh, no, I gotta no. pick and choose when I go after people's hair since I don't have. Much. <laughs> I, I, I pick, I pick and choose my battles there. Sure, I respect the, I respect the COVID cut, man. The COVID cuts are nice, you know. Let it grow out a little bit, show off what you got. I like it, dude. <laughs> cool, thanks. Yeah, that's what I figured. I, I, I it, it got so long. I said, I told my barber do something with this, and and he gave me this weird transformer haircut, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um so uh i mean you said you got some time to get back into mma with with everything that you're doing now you and uh you contribute like me over at mymmanews.com and um i've i've read a few of the pieces you've done already i mean they're pretty deep and and uh like when you wrote that piece on jim miller who fought not that long ago um you spent some time with jim miller i mean you got some stories from the road i mean your type of writing for the sport is hard to come by i mean considering you had such a great mentor, somebody that, that kind of influenced me too in, in Dwayne Finley. So, um, I mean, can you just talk about like, uh, like what, what you notice now as far as, cause I, I, you tweeted something, uh, not that long ago and I chimed in with my own little doofus, uh, comment self promo thing, but like, uh, what, what have you noticed changing now as, as like the, the way the sports come covered compared to when you were doing it? For sure, man. I mean, I could go, I could go longer than this podcast runs on this, I think. But uh, in short, the value of news aggregation has never been higher. I think people wait for somebody to break a story or people wait for somebody to make an excellent point, And then they'll jump all over it, claim it as theirs, kind of parse it up however they want for their site. The idea of being creative and just digging in and owning a subject has disappeared, I feel like, since. And I'm not going to say it's because I left or anything. Like, please don't get me wrong there. It's not because of that. It was headed that way when I was still working in MMA. Yeah. Absolutely. It's been a very slow climb, but where it's at now, it's the it's the worst journalism has been. My tweet was about journalism in general, for the record, for anybody who didn't see it. It was not aimed at the MMA community. It was actually coming off after leaving DK Pittsburgh Sports. I was able to really step back and just look at the work everybody was doing. Because when you, when you work for a company and you you're full time and you're just giving it all day in, day out, you kind of get tunnel vision at your own company. Like I really only saw DK Pittsburgh sports stuff and I only knew what I was doing. My coworkers were doing when I was able to step back and really look at the entire scope of the journalism landscape. I was like, dude, everybody's doing the same thing. Every site has the same stories. Everybody is pursuing the same little angles and quirks. Like very few people are really going out there and producing truly original content. And that, like I said, that's been a trend since I was covering MMA before I left Flow Combat. That was definitely one thing I always prided ourselves at at Flow Combat was being yeah. very creative, original. I feel like we shot for the stars sometimes and completely missed. But I'll take that all day. You know, I'll take a, a story that only gets 500 reads, but we really believed in it. And we tried it and we said, oh, all right, that one didn't work. Dust ourselves off and, and try it again because next one can hit for 20,000 views and, and, you know, all the critical acclaim that you're after. So. You just got to, I don't know, man, I'm still learning as a writer and as a journalist and everything every day. So where I'm at right now, like you, you mentioned that Jim Miller piece, I wrote a, a piece on Gilbert Burns as well. Where I am right now is just writing stuff that means something to me really as honest as I honestly as I can write. I'm done dealing with bias. Like I don't even care about the idea of bias. If my writing comes off as biased, then that's how I truly felt about that guy. I'm sorry. I like Jim Miller. 
Spoiler <laughs> alert, I like Jim Miller. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. it came off that way because that's actually how I feel about the dude. So it's the most yeah. honest thing I could have written. I mean, that that's just where I am at this point. I think journalism's a lot of a lot of fake, man. As much as journalism wants to tout itself as this wholly unbiased source, it's anything but. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, no, that's I, I I appreciate the angle you're taking is I mean, I I you know, I like I said, we've never really talked, but I've done some writing in the past. I've been uh, I've been going to MMA events for twenty plus years now, so I have a long history of from Noel's Bard days on of attending events. So all my writing has always been from a fan's perspective, and I've never hid the fact that I'm a huge Chuck Liddell fan, or I'm a huge Fedor fan, or Tito Ortiz, or whoever the heck it is that I'm writing about. And there's always, you know, I I've I've had a hard time. Uh, when I've gone to cover events in times because the fan in me wants to come out and it's like, it's hard not to root for that guy. So I appreciate you, you kind of doing that in, in a, in a bigger forum in a sense, because I think that's a lot of the history of the sport is the fans that have come up and learning these fighters and knowing the fighters and, and it really them being such good guys that it makes it hard not to root for them on a personal level. Um, that's a little comment on my part, but I guess my question getting to um, Dana White earlier in the year took a little bit of heat um, when he mentioned that MMA writers and MMA media need to kind of watch themselves a little bit because on the totem pole of, of sports writers and, and journalists, they're generally considered working their way up, but they're, they're in the lower totem of that, uh, of the pole. Do you, uh, when you started working, doing the Pittsburgh stuff, the Steelers, did you notice a different in levels of, um, I mean, I don't know exactly how to say it, but I think you're kind of picking up on what I'm saying. Is, yeah. is the professional level the same when you get to the top? Um, or, or were you noticing that, like, you know, you really do have a another level when it gets to the, the Pirates or Major League writing or, or NFL writing, stuff like that? Yeah, that that's a really fun, interesting question, man, because this is something that I discuss with people quite a bit, is that I was actually amazed at how well MMA media prepared me to cover the Steelers, to cover the Pirates and things. And it's mostly the aggression of it. The way MMA media is every piece of news that breaks, every little bit of analysis, you guys are always all over. You guys know the ins and outs of the sport at every level. And that's the kind of like just well-rounded information and just attack mode that you need to have to really succeed at any level. But especially, you know, the pro major North American sports that I was covering definitely had that element. The one thing that is different, I will say, is like the journalism culture there, if that makes sense. For instance, I was constantly out getting beers with my MMA media guys and just shooting the <laughs> shit and talk, talking about things that aren't sports. Football media is not necessarily as friendly with each other. It's it's way more cutthroat. It's way more, I work for my guys, you work for your guys, we are competitors, we're not friends. It's kind of it's way more like that. And it's it's just more cutthroat in that way. But overall, man, I mean, the skill level is about the same. It's just how it's applied. And of course, in, in NFL media, you've got guys who have been covering the Steelers, for instance, for 30 plus years. You can't you can't replicate that kind of experience. You know, me coming in on my first year, I could still teach that guy some stuff. He could teach me way more. Like, I'm not shy about that. When you have that experience, there's just no replacement for that. But a fresh face will come up with new angles, will come up with different ways maybe to ask questions or to present ideas. So there's definitely a give and take with it. But the fundamentals of journalism, and I tell this to people all the time, like you could send me out to cover marble racing and I could do it. I could cover a horse race tomorrow. 
the fundamentals of journalism do not really change. And MMA media absolutely has a lot of that. Dana White's comment, dude, Dana White loves ruffling the feathers of media. And I think it's hilarious. I think it's hilarious when people get upset about it for sure. I mean, <laughs> I get, I get what he's saying and I get like, it's viewed that way, but from somebody who has been in the MMA media and also NFL media, it's not that different, Dana. It really isn't, man. It's the same people. <laughs> That's funny. Um, you know, what's funny is, uh, you're, as you were talking about uh, just the, the difference. I mean, I know it's really not that far away from MMA, but I have had to cover a couple of boxing events. I mean, if you, if you remember when I met you, I was writing for uh, Front Proof Media, which is a boxing-heavy site, uh, and um, I was the only MMA guy there. So anything that happened in New York, they were like, can you go? And uh, when I went in, to, I, it was uh, the Spence Algieri. Uh, I don't know if, it was, if that was like one or two. But um, Sean USS Sean Cunningham was uh, so they sat us. They they handled it completely different than anything that I've ever been to with anyone because it was in a steakhouse and when I got they ordered a steak and everything. It was pretty cool. But uh, so they would sit like one the the boxer his trainer and they had tables with different media folks. That's how so people would talk to him. So I was at Cunningham's table, and of course you know they're t- there to talk about training and, and the matchup and stuff like that but he had a passion about um writing uh his own comic book and his artwork and stuff like that and you know i i found that interesting so i kept asking him questions about that and like th- 30 minutes after he said whatever he had to say at the podium we went outside and walked out of the steakhouse and he and i were talking on uh, broadway about comic books and stuff like that and i i remember like he's he was saying like his dream was to have like uh you know some an idea of his made into a film and that Batman Superman movie was being promoted at the time and he pointed at that poster and 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 we just had a uh, we really connected and we kept in touch for a little while after that but um I, I haven't spoken to him since uh he fought on that he fought on that McGregor uh, Mayweather uh mm-hmm. undercard but um you know it's just weird that you're talking about the difference in the dynamics because that was one thing that I I, I was like wow these guys aren't respecting what he seems passionate about. You know, yeah. they, it's kind of—it was like they—they they treated him like a commodity or something like that. And I, I don't know. I feel like I feel like athletes kind of like it when you uh, show an interest in them as as you know, not just some some character on on uh, on, the, on your screen. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I definitely noticed the same thing in the pro sports I, I was recently covering. I mean, that idea—I've always approached it this way, and this is absolutely something I picked up from Dwayne as we were talking about earlier. Dwayne broke down a lot of barriers for me in terms of what bias is, how close you can get to your interview subjects, mm-hmm. things of that nature, because he doesn't have a traditional journalism background. He's just a guy with a crazy knack for storytelling and for connecting with people. No, no uh, journalism degree, no formal training, no nothing like that. Whereas I came in with kind of those fundamental J school, fu- you know, fundamentals. Mm-hmm. And, and that was that was tough. He had to kind of break those walls down for me and be like, "Hey, man, like you can you can joke around with him if you want. You can you can be a little loose. You can have a beer with him. You can do these things." And I was like, uh, "Are you sure? That's not in the handbook, Dwayne." <laughs> <You know? laughs> but he, he like I was reading his stories and I was like, "Dude, he's he's just crushing it. Like he's drilling right to the heart of who these guys are in the most real way possible. Like yeah. if that's not journalism, then I don't know what is, man." And to your point, like walking out of the press conference and just talking about comic books, something not even related to the sport. Like that's huge. And I absolutely carried that into the Steelers locker rooms, Pirates locker rooms. Like 
I was talking to a Pirates pitcher, Joe Musgrove, very early in the year, just about coffee. We had a whole a whole interview about coffee. It had nothing to do with baseball. And then after that, I come to learn that he's a huge UFC fan as well. So we talked about UFC. We would talk about MMA. And then every time I would see him, he'd be like, you know, what's up, Joe? And I'd be able to get some good stuff from him. But the beauty of doing it that way is when Joe would have a bad game on the mound professionally, I could ask him the hard questions without him thinking I'm being a dick. He knows, yeah. like, I'm just out here doing my job. This is a guy I can trust, you know? So that's how you kind of build that trust and that rapport. It's huge. When you take a personal interest in them, because that's – I really do have a personal interest in them. And these guys are the top, you know, 0.1% athletes in the world. They're amazing people. Even the guys that barely make the team are amazing athletes, what they put themselves through. Same goes for MMA. If you're in the UFC, I care about you. If you're in LFA, I care about you. Belter, any, any of the – if you're putting your body out there training mm-hmm. every day, I care about that grind, man. That's awesome. Yeah. So to keep piggybacking kind of off where my questions were going then, uh, and off that, uh, MMA has always been uh, kind of praised by a lot of people that the fighters are accessible, uh, at least up until kind of the McGregor era, and then it kind of started changing a little bit, yeah. um, maybe with the lack of expos. Kind of the UFC has kind of separated the fighters from fans a little bit more mm. in the last four or five years than, than what it was for a decade and a half. Did you find that, uh, you know, so them being accessible, especially when you were doing Flow Combat, I think, you know, you had one of the bigger outlets at the time uh, to, to get guys. When you started dealing with uh, the MLB, the guy, you know, you, you talk about – the 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 smallest the smallest guys in MLB and, and NFL are still millionaires for the most part. They're making a lot of money. It's a little different than the guy making eight thousand and eight thousand on a on an LFA card. Yeah. Um, did you did you find that they were still accessible? I know you once you break that barrier, or was it harder to break barriers with those those guys in the in the in the higher paying professional sports, or was it exactly the same for you? Yeah, I think it's kind of a dual layer answer. So on one layer, I'll, I'll use just the Pirates as an example or the series, kind of the same idea. But the Pirates, for example, when they're in season, they're playing multiple times a week. So that's multiple times a week you get to be in the locker room with them and talk to them. So that's kind of your access period if you view it that way. Like every day, every day they play is kind of a UFC media day or an MMA media day. If you want to look at it that way, you have the opportunity to go up to them and talk on every game day before and after the game. So you have to make the most of that time for sure. For the Steelers, you know, football playing once a week, every practice during the week, you're allowed in the locker room right after practice for like 45 minutes. So that's your time. That's your access period for football. So as far as getting them outside of the facilities though, it doesn't happen. They're, they're much (laughs) more protected than MMA. Like, for instance, just now I saw Steve Mowry was pulled from this upcoming Bellator card because he tested positive for COVID. I shot him a test. Yeah, shot- yeah, dude, it sucks. <laughs> I shot him. He, he's he's being super positive about it though. It's awesome, but uh, he's feeling no effects. He he actually thought he was fine, but uh, nope. So he's gone. Somebody replaced mm-hmm. him. I forget the name, but yeah. But like I texted him right away and talked to him about it, just one on one. Just texted him, you know, expressed my condolences. Like that sucks, man. Hope you can get back out there soon. We talked about it a little bit. So that that's something that like with the Steelers, at least at my with one year of experience, I wasn't at that level with guys. I did have some luck getting one on one stuff outside of the facility with a couple of the Steelers rookies because I made it a point for the rookies when they were coming in to really take show interest in them, tell their stories, make sure I interviewed all the new faces, all the new guys. 
And then that did carry throughout the season. And then in the off season, I was able to hit him up, DM him and arrange some interviews. But for the, and honestly, the Steelers, I don't think care for that very much. I don't think they like when you do that, which I didn't know, but I learned. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you learn, right? <laughs> yeah. I, hey man, I, I'm going to be aggressive with it. Like this, this, like I said, for me, that's what it's all about. I just want to talk to the fighters. I want to tell your story. I want to tell the players' stories. I'm a very personable, I guess, journalist, however you want to call it, a, a person-centric writer. So that's always the stories that I'm going to go with. So if I get slapped on the wrist a couple times, that's fine. I never make the same mistake twice. That's what I like to say. So. <laughs> Well, you're also, I mean, you're also, you've always, I mean, since I've met you, you're, you've always been a super positive and supportive dude. Even when you're asking hard questions, I, I remember you shared the video. It was some executive, I don't know if it was football or baseball, because because I don't really follow them sports, but I remember <laughs> yeah. it was, uh, 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 somebody was getting a little heated with the questions you were asking, but you managed to keep the tone friendly and, and positive that, that the person still kind of, and in in their own asshole butthurt way and answered your question because it was like yeah. this guy's not really being an asshole he's just asking something i really don't want to answer you know that, and that's the key man that that's where the rapport comes in handy like i was saying about joe musgrove like if i had to ask him a hard question which i really don't remember him ever having a terrible game that i had to but if i did it would be like that it'd be like man i'm annoyed right now we just lost whatever but i respect it and that that's kind of the that's the approach that i always love to take but it's funny it's your i remember exactly the video you're talking about it's funny man i only had one case and this was this ties into the discussion perfectly one Mm -hmm. time in my life i had a question completely shut down the dude just refused to shut it and kind of like gave me a little on the end like it kind of kind of made me feel bad about it you know like why would you even ask Mm -hmm. that dude and it was when i went to the away locker room to talk to their manager about something. It was the Reds and Pirates, and they had big beef throughout the season. Like There was a huge brawl between the two teams. It was the first time they played since the brawl. So I wanted to get the other side, the red side of the story, and talk to their manager, and I asked him about it. And their PR guy just shut shut me down. He's like, we're not not taking any more questions on that. I was like, all right, cool, man. That's cool. But, again, the rapport. (laughs) I don't have rapport with the away team. That's the first time I ever saw this dude. So so you've got – the home team guy coming in asking these tough questions. No, it's a no go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's definitely uh, it was definitely interesting. But again, the way you handled it just shows uh, your time and your time in coming from a, a sport like MMA. You know, you got a thick skin off of uh, from the experience you already <laughs> had. It's true, man. I mean, you're back in the MMA mix. You're breaking the Steve Mowry news. When I had uh, I had Tapology up and. It still had him fighting, and I clicked refresh, and now it's got him removed from the card. So see that we're breaking news on a <laughs> on a private stream. Oh, <laughs> uh, before we get into the MMA stuff, I just a quick comment about Pittsburgh, and I, I, I before kind of during the Lesnar era when UFC got really expensive, I used to travel around being a huge San Diego Charger fan. Uh, okay. No longer, no longer an LA Charger fan, <clears throat> but when they were San Diego, I used to uh, kind of travel with the team, and I've been to about a dozen cities or so. Went to road games uh, during the LT, you know, during their prime. Nice, you know, getting as close to a championships as San Diego ever got uh, sure. run. Um, but went to Pittsburgh. I gotta say, best city of fans I ever went to. Uh, fans buying beers for <laughs> us, treated us like we were like we were family. Um, despite being geared out in charger gear and being as loud and as obnoxious as anybody, uh, the Pittsburgh fans were the classiest fans that I ran into across the country. 
And to this day, you know, we talked to Nolan King about Krispy Kreme. I need to get back <laughs> to Pittsburgh and get Primani's. Aye, there you I, go. If I can get a Primani sandwich again in my lifetime, then I can die happy. <laughs> you, you had one? You had one? I, oh, I had one. That was, that, nice. was our, that was one of our stops. There but, you uh, go. That's good stuff, man. I'm happy to hear. I'm happy to hear about the fans, too. That's killer. I mean, I tell people this all the time, but unless you visited Pittsburgh like you have, or especially if you were born and raised here, you, it's hard to understand the way sports are in the fabric of everything we do. I mean, it's not even like there's no division between sports and life. It's it's literally a part of the fabric here. It's very unique. And I think that's why we got such respect because initially it was kind of like, oh, boo, Chargers, you suck, you suck. The minute you sit down and talk to somebody and you say you flew five hours to get to the game, you know, you're, you're staying at the team hotel. All of a sudden it's like, okay, respect. you're one of us, you know, because, you know, Pittsburgh – for Ed, Ed doesn't know, but Pitt, the, the Pittsburgh fans or Steeler fans are known for their – they're known as one of the biggest traveling squads in the in the country. They go, they go to city to city. They have their whole little nation that – that goes around to all the games. So once that happened, but just wanted to throw that in there, a little respect for the, for the Pittsburgh fans. Uh, it's been probably almost 10 years now, but I'd love to get back there. And uh, well, it makes sense to me. Out. It makes sense to me. Cause I mean, <clears throat> Hunter's the only guy I know from, from out there. <laughs> and when I first, when I, before I met him, we were, we were kind of like friendly on Twitter and we, we talked beer and stuff before that. And then when we finally got together, and we ate, we chowed down and messed up a whole plate of nachos and God knows what else. I remember we ate a lot. And then, uh, every, t- I mean, like we were saying before we started recording, like, I mean, I'm, very few people, I respect their beer game, but Hunter's one of them, man. I mean, he and I, uh, he and I are, uh, definitely, I mean, you, didn't you do some stuff with, uh, uh, DK sports at some, some dope ass bar that I feel like I need to go to. Yeah. <laughs> That was sick. When you get, hey, you guys come in together. We'll go to Permanis and then we'll finish up the night at, at Mike's Beer Bar, so That's we can hit funny. both. But it was sweet, man. We had a a weekly show that was filmed at this local beer bar. They have eighty beers on tap. They have five hundred beers. So plenty of your Belgian beers, dude. They got plenty of triples and quads for you, dude. Guaranteed. So <laughs> we we can take care of you at Mike's Beer Bar. But we had a show where we would drink a flight. Excuse me. And between beers, we would talk about different segments. So each beer would be a different topic. I watched one of those and I just got thirsty watching it. Same. I got thirsty thirsty making them. So, (laughs) yeah. See, that's 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 enough for nothing. I feel like that right there. You don't got to be on ESPN or anything like that. You do something like that. You made it as far as I'm concerned. That's winning, dude. One, once a week, I literally got paid to drink beer. I, if that's not the dream, I don't know what is, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, 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 that's as good as it great. gets. <laughs> <laughs> All right, With so that before, said, yeah, you mentioned Steve Mowry. Uh, this week, we, you know, Ed and I have been uh, talking about Bellator, uh, and I had been concerned for the last couple months that it was quiet. Well, about a week ago, 10 days ago, all of a sudden we got announced that they're coming back. So mm-hmm. uh, snap of a finger this Friday night, we get uh, Bellator returning uh, for their return show, uh, doing at what, the Mohegan Sun? Is that? Yeah. Yes, Mohegan, Mohegan Sun. Sun. The next four events. So they're kind of setting up their fight island uh, in Connecticut, um, <laughs> which, is about, which is about as much of an island as Yes Island is, too. <laughs> but, uh, but we won't get too deep on that. That's why they're calling it a sphere, not an island. <laughs> but uh pretty good card uh you know nice little uh headliner sergio pettis ricky bendejas um some of the other names jordan main uh makes his ufc or i'm sorry his bellator 
I believe it's his Bellator debut. I don't know if he fought in one of the earlier Bellators. I should probably go back and check that. But um, after fighting in Strike Force, fighting in UFC, uh, he, he gets to Bellator. Uh, Taiwan Claxton mm-hmm. uh, against the undefeated J.J. Wilson. Naren Pico, uh, one of the guys we've talked about. You know, we basically had this show since he started his career, so mm-hmm. we've been up and down with him. Um, I guess I'll kind of just ask a question off that, Hunter. What's your opinion of Pico? Um, after he got knocked out a couple times, I was kind of on the the side of like, let's let's sit this young guy out for a couple years, maybe do some wrestling, maybe do some uh, combat jujitsu or something. But uh, but he got a knockout win in his last win. What uh, what you know, somebody who's covered the sport and seen everybody that's been around it. What is your opinion of of Pico? Yeah, we were at uh, – that was one of the times I met you, Ed, for sure, at, yeah. at Bellator NYC. So we were at Pico's debut and everything. I remember the hype for that event was just so absurd. For Pico especially, the way everybody was touting him as the next champion, maybe two-division champion even, right from the jump. The ex- the expectations in retrospect, it's really easy to say how unrealistic they were. And now in retrospect, it's also easy to say how much pressure was on the poor guy coming in. That was super unfair the attention and everything he was getting at the time, it seemed justified, but now it's, it's really easy to use some hindsight and be like, ah, man, we probably pushed that dude a little too hard, too fast. But like you said, he's still knocking dudes out. The talent is undeniable. Honestly, what he has is still there, but chaining it all together in MMA is such a different beast. And I think that's what he really had to learn. He had all these great individual parts. It was like he had an engine, he had tires, he had suspension, but the car wasn't built yet, and he had to learn how to do that. So once he starts putting that together, I think he's going to be fine. I think he's on that track now. I'm not sure if you know if he is going to be a champion or what he's going to be exactly, but you don't want to get hit by that dude. I guarantee you that. <laughs> I still like, I still love Aaron Pico, and I'm really interested in his trajectory for sure. Yeah, I mean, he's so young. That's the thing that every time, you know, one thing about him is, is his youth. You don't want to see him take too much bad damage uh, so early in his career so that he can have a long career. But mm-hmm. it's definitely one of those things. I remember, uh, like you said, it was that event that you and, you and I hung out the before that event that night before. But he, uh, I know you and Dwayne actually uh, talked to him after the loss. And one of the things, I mean, we keep calling him this kid and stuff like that, but he's so mature the way he handles things. The only My only concern with him is that I feel like sometimes the – I mean, this could probably can be said for all wrestlers too. Guys that come into MMA from wrestling, their competitive spirit is kind of like always on another level, you know, in comparison to other guys coming into the sport because you know they're 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 willing to sacrifice so much. It's like that somebody has to, you know, their coach or whomever is in their team has to be the ones to reel them back to kind of like make them, you know, not uh not not um. There's this uh one of the guys I trained with does uh came from wrestling. And he compared wrestling and jujitsu. He was like, wrestling is like two Rams just going at each other until somebody yeah, knocks yeah, right, out. Right. And like jujitsu kind of has like, okay, you know, you don't have to win them all. Sometimes you learn through through being, you know, soft is hard and smooth is fast and things like that. So sure. I just feel like that's something that uh, Pico has to pick up with time. Yeah, yeah, he's gonna have to. I mean, I think you'll see it as he gets older. We see it with a lot of guys, right? When they're young and they think they're invincible and everything. I think. We, see, we just saw it with Cody Garbrandt in his last fight. Pico reminded me of Garbrandt a lot in that dual kind of wrestling and heavy hands, but like actual amateur boxing background. They they reminded me of each other quite a bit. And then you see Garbrandt starts, you know, forgetting those fundamentals, gets caught a couple of times, gets knocked out a couple of times. His last fight, though, he looked super polished again, very relaxed, very calm, just 
and obviously scored a huge knockout. So I think if Pico can just tame that side of him, like you're saying, if he can avoid being a Ram all the time and just play it a little smarter, a little more tactically, I think he'll be totally fine. I mean, it's not like he's getting completely outclassed out there. He's getting caught. Every fight he's lost, he yeah. gets caught. You just need to stop it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You just, you just reminded me that one time you were like, well, with Khabib, why don't people just get up when they take some down? He was like, why don't they just get up? They need to train with Derek Lewis. And stand up. That's all you got to do is stand up. <laughs> um, yeah. Go ahead, Ed. Go ahead, Matt. No, oh, no, no I, I was just going to say, yeah, the, I pretty much the same page then with Pico. I've I've actually seen, I, you know, it's one of those guys I look back, I've seen him fight six times already live, which is insane because, uh, you know, it's, Makes me wonder if you'd be one of the guys that see fight, you know, 30 times in their career or something. But um, I, I just it, it sucks now that he's got a couple losses because I feel like I'm watching the fights like, you know, I'm rooting for him because you want to see him kick ass. But at the same time, you know, you want to watch a fight and it's like, mm-hmm. God damn, if he gets caught again, you know, is this going to be it? And, you know, yeah. and it really won't be. But there's not many guys that young that we've kind of. I mean, you don't say grown up with, but you feel like you know the guy because you watched him since his first fight at the upper levels, and and it uh, it just sucks to to see him dominate in a fight and then get caught, and you you know you just don't know how many of those you get. So uh, you know we're all rooting for Pico. Card looks exciting. Another thing that jumps out this Friday that a lot of people are, it's flying under the radar. Uh, not as not as big as Bellator or UFC, but uh, BKFC Bare Knuckle Fighting Championship uh, kicks back this Friday night. Uh, that's right i forgot so, back. <laughs> yeah so we got luis palomino uh a stud uh anybody who watched world series of fighting and watched uh justin gagey yep. can't watch justin gagey without watching the palomino fights he fights a ufc veteran isaac valley flag who's made a name for himself uh, nice. in, to be a good fight in yeah. bkfc so i mean it's it's one of the better you know main events that they've had probably without necessarily the the, the name recognition of a lobov or a malinaji or you know, some of the other guys that they've, they've picked, you know, the Gonzagas and Bigfoots and stuff like that. But, uh, dude, yeah, I just I mean, got, yeah, you got me super hyped just mentioning that fight. Like if you've watched fights, if you go back, that's, that's a war waiting to happen right there. And in bare mm-hmm. knuckle, that's the dude, that's going to be a crazy fight. Give me that over Artem versus Polly all day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the thing with Absolutely. Palomino. I mean, Palomino's had probably, you know, without looking roughly, it seems like he's had about 50 fights. I mean, he's been around forever, but he just kind of never broke that ceiling to become a superstar. But he's always the guy who is like, he's the guy nobody wants to fight, you know, and, and he beats everybody. And then, and then he, you know, in, in World Series well, he, of Fighting, he ran into yeah. Gagey twice, which. Yeah. And he gave him, I mean, that was like their, their fight of the year or whatever when they fought that first time. It, it was probably his toughest fight there when he was in WSOF. A Gagey stuff is right there, yeah. So, so yeah, um, so, so that's another one Friday night, and this one's not pay per view. This one's actually free on YouTube, according to everything I've seen. Ooh. So, uh, so Friday Uh-oh. night you got the Bellator prelims on YouTube, and I believe also on their app. Um, and then the main card is on Paramount Network. And then, uh, I, as from everything I've read and seen, the BKFC card, uh, the entire card is free on YouTube. So uh, nice. So Friday kicks off, and then. And then Saturday we got a hell of a UFC card uh, to kind oh, yeah. of wrap wrap Wait. the. <laughs> I'm gonna bring, I'm gonna bring that up. So 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 Hunter, just so you know, Matt likes to bring up the topology because of the running gag when we look at UFC cards on this podcast is that the uh, the inaccuracies on their website. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. We, uh, <laughs> we we learned we learned last week that Paige Van Zant was cutting down from 155 pounds. <laughs> 
So we're, we're yeah. <laughs> put on put on that COVID nineteen, right? <laughs> <laughs> the COVID the COVID fifty for her. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah, so uh huge card. Uh see if we can get it to pop up. There it is. Uh uh Whitaker Till main event. Uh Darren Till back up at one eighty five, uh coming off a win over Kevin Gastelum. Robert go, Whitaker. This is your speed right here. I know those there guys. Still show there we go. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're we're going st- to stick with most of the names. Um, an interesting stat. Uh, there are 15 fights on this card right now currently scheduled uh, before we eventually get our, our fight cancellation weigh-in day. Uh, is currently <laughs> tied to match the most UFC fights ever on a card with 15. That was, that was UFC 2. UFC 2 had 15 fights, um, but that was also a 16-man tournament that created that. So uh, currently stated to be the, the long – and considering UFC 2 had no fights go past like eight minutes, nine minutes, uh, this card is set to be the, the longest card in UFC history as well. well that's awesome. Um, yeah, so ton of guys, um, you know – Let's see. Ed, Ed's went all the way down to the bottom. The fights that jump out to me, um, of course, uh, <laughs> names that we all should recognize. Yeah. Fabri- go down a little farther, Ed. Next fight down. Fabricio Verdun, uh, Alexander Gustafson making his heavyweight debut. Uh, usually you see guys kind of jump up to heavyweight and maybe kind of test the water. Uh, <clears throat> Gustafson ain't doing that. He is, uh, although Verdun's not the Verdun that, that we kind of, you know, got used to maybe four or five years ago. Uh, hell of a challenge for Gustafson and a fight that really uh, would put Gustafson right in the mix at heavyweight if he were to pick up a, a inter, a, you know, a, a, a good win. Um, barring it not being some boring decision or something, he's going to get right in the mix. So I guess I'll ask Hunter, uh, did you ever think you'd see this matchup? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> not. It's an awesome matchup, though, man. I mean, I watched Verdun's last fight, actually, and he was extremely hittable. He looked very slow. He was very hittable. As far as Gustafson going up to heavyweight and trying to make a splash, I feel like this is an awesome opportunity to do that. I think this is a great matchup for Gus to kind of show what he can do. And we've seen dudes move up and wait and perform better. I mean, Darren Till being the pro, even Whitaker. Till and Whitaker both did it. So you see guys move up and wait and sometimes perform better. So – I see no reason why Gustafson can't do the same. Like I said, that Verdun matchup looks really juicy for him. I'd be, I'm not a betting guy. I learned early on not to bet, especially on MMA, but mm-hmm. I would definitely throw down some money on a Gustafson finish in this one. I might it's, do that. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, you know, it's interesting uh, because most people don't survive on the ground once, uh, if Verdun gets them down and gets on top of them. The last time we saw Gustafson was against Jones, and although Jones did beat him up a little, really the fight turned um, when when Jones got him down on the ground, and and that was Gustafson's weakness. Um, and without going back, I kind of feel like that was the same situation with Anthony Smith a little bit. Uh, I'd have to rewatch that one, but uh, yeah, man. I mean, I just think it's a cool fight. Uh, it's kind of a clash of styles in a sense, mm-hmm. uh, and and, uh, and it's open weight. I mean, they're going to say it's heavyweight, but this is kind of <laughs> what the the UFC was built on. Here was dudes just fighting. Um, you know, a- anybody over 185 pounds essentially fighting each other. So uh, I love it. Uh, I don't I don't necessarily know who to pick. I, I think uh, I think Gustafson 
is they're both kind of in a must-win situation in, in a sense. I mean, Gustafson can always just kind of write it off and go, hey, I tested the water. If I want to go back to 205, he gets right back in the mix. Verdun's basically a loss away from maybe fighting Fedor again in in you know in a retirement match. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting. I just love the matchup. I love the creativity. Uh, Ed and I have talked about how this fight island and COVID has created some of these wild matchups. And, uh, I, it, with, you know, without going down the list, I think this might be my favorite one that just kind of popped up uh, for two, you know, legends of, of UFC and legends of MMA, really. Um, so look forward to it. Ed, do you have any kind of take on that fight? I don't know if you've looked into it much, but. Uh, um, I mean, no, I usually look into uh, when we're looking at cards. I usually take when we do it on the podcast is usually my my first look um, if I'm not writing anything about it. And I mean, uh, there's actually I mean, the whole card, there's there's some stuff. Uh, I went down to the prelims because I know there's a few fights on there that that they just added not too long ago that I'm really interested in. But um, as far as this particular fight, um, you know, it's one of those things like obviously if if, it, if they stay standing, I, I could see Gustafson pulling off a, a decision win. But Hunter makes a good point with the uh, putting some money down on if, if he gets a knockout. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know why. I'm just looking at the stats here. I'm pretty sure Fabricio Wardoom has some wins by submission. <laughs> I, don't know why. I don't know i don't know why it says zero percent but, but oh yeah there we go <laughs> but um yeah. yeah um i mean yeah uh, we, we we just uh scrolled through the card quickly hunter and i know we were talking about you might not know the names but but uh these these are some names i'm sure you recognize from your from there your you go. Uh, <laughs> jumping, in, jumping in real quick we're talking about the betting odds according to tapology right now they show gustafson as a minus 300 favorite Wow, yeah, maybe sense. I wouldn't. Maybe I won't throw money on. There's not a lot of value there. That everybody no, Verdun at plus two thirty is actually the value, honestly. Yeah, no uh, doubt on the, on that one. But that obviously could change uh, unless you unless that method of victory prop though is on. You know, yeah, I, I don't know about all the props. I wonder. I wonder how the. Uh, I'd be curious to talk to a, uh, you know, a sports bet guy and find out how the with Vegas. Like Yanni the Greek. Yeah, well, no, maybe not Yanni the Greek, <laughs> but somebody. Um, who 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 could maybe break down if the closing of Vegas and, and Atlantic City has thrown off the the sports betting? I mean, do we not see? I wonder if the lines are moving or if they're staying a lot more stagnant. Um, That's a good with, question. With the lack of money coming in uh, in person at, at these places, so that that yeah. could be something to keep an eye on for betters. If a line opens up crazy, uh, you might have extra time to get on it than you would have in the past. Um, that brings us then to the co-main event here. Uh, Two fighters that I love, uh, Hua, Mauricio Shogun, uh, one of the all-time legends, uh, top five light heavyweight of all time, I, I think is pretty unanimous, um, against Little Nog, uh, Antonio Rogerio Noguera, who, pride legend, hasn't had much success in the UFC, uh, kind of came over, kind of a beaten version of, of what we had gotten used to in Japan. Third time they fought, uh, Hua... 2-0. Uh, the last time they fought, if I'm just thinking off top, I believe it was the Ronda Rousey Correa card UFC 193, I want to say. Um, and it wasn't a very great great fight. Uh, so not not one to not one necessarily to watch. Their first fight was one of the greatest fights in MMA history uh, in, in the Pride Grand Prix. I don't know. Uh, I got to go with Hua. Noguera hasn't done anything to 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 really make me feel like he can win this fight uh shogun's 
had a couple nice runs in the UFC and then he, and then he gets brutalized in a fight, which kind of knocks him back down Uh, Two older guys. You know, jokingly, I said, if this isn't the retirement fight, then we got to get golden boy back so we can do uh, (laughs) Shogun little nog four in golden boy to keep, to keep the tradition alive. But uh, I don't know. I I, I go with who personally, I hope it's a draw with both guys just beating the hell out of each other. Nice. It won't be as bad as Liddell Ortiz, whatever part <laughs> ten that that was in <laughs> Oh my god, that that was tough to watch. This actually, man, like I dug into this fight a little bit before we got on air just to refresh my memory. I forgot the run that Shogun was on until recently. He's something like four one and one in his last six. Like I, I forgot that there was a time recently where Shogun was putting himself back in the title conversation, which yeah. seems impossible. In my mind, I'm like, there's no way that happened. But then you look at the run, it's like, well, sure enough, he won three in a row So and then fought Anthony Smith and lost. So it was right there. But it's funny that he was right there. And Little Nog 2, not as bad as I remembered recently. He's two and two in his last four. So neither guy is completely done, I don't think. Like I, ha- I had in my mind, you know, that this was going to be one of those sad, like we just said, like Chuck yeah. versus Tito kind of fights. But I don't think it's going to be that, man. I think it's actually going to be really fun. Like you said, obviously they have a history together. Even though it's not necessarily a rubber match since the series is, is 2-0 <laughs> already, but it's it's going to be a fun fight, I think. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think it's going to be fun too. I mean, I'm always on and off about Shogun because because it seems like uh, you know, when he's on fire, he's 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 on fire, but it's it usually takes like one like elbow or something that that'll like break his nose or cut him really bad, and then that'll set the downslide for for him to to get a loss. So it's like it's almost like a coin toss, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, it really yeah. is. You know, these guys, and we, you know, I jokingly, you're kind of saying that they're they're well, they've reached the end of their run for the most part, but it, these guys never fight easy competition. So it, when you see like you know a guy go, a, a two and two out of some one of yeah. these guys is about as impressive as a four and zero out of a lot of the other guys who are who are not fighting. I mean, if you look at Hua's list of fighters he's fought, I mean, Ridiculous. it's just insane that that. You know, now, now, I mean, we haven't heard a lot from Tyson Pedro lately, but when Hua fought him, he was kind of the hot, the hot ticket, and everybody thought he was going to win, and and Hua, uh, you know, ended that quote unquote hype train, I guess. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens with Pedro in the future, but um, and then Noguera, I mean, just fight. You know, none of these guys have turned down a fight in their life, so <laughs> right. Um, I mean, this is. In a sense, it's sad for the old school MMA fans because this is the guys that got us into the sport, and these are the the guys that you know. This is the reason guys make money today is is because of the blood and the and the sweat that these guys, uh, you know, left who, in, who, in the mat. Which one of the No Gear Bros? The one that did the Anaconda choke on Heath Herring? Is it this one or the, or is no, the, other the one? old? That was, uh, older one. Or, uh, Rodrigo. Yeah, yeah that, that was big, the first time mom. I had seen an Anaconda choke, and now and then we saw like ten last weekend. Yeah, uh, last week. Yeah. But, uh, right. Let me throw this out there on that fight. I think something that we could see is a grappling matchup. I would love to see them hit the ground and see what they can do with each other on the ground. People forget how good of a grappler I think Shogun is and how he's always based his game around that. He just started knocking dudes out, and sometimes that becomes more appealing. Obviously, his Muay Thai is very strong. But I can see this turning into a grappling match and a very fun one at that. Their first fight, I mean, it's been – what 16 years or something like that, mm-hmm. but it seemed like there was a lot of ground action uh, 
again, I, I recommend that fight for anybody to go back. In fact, I should go back and, and rewatch maybe, that. Maybe they'll make a gentleman's agreement and be like, yo, let's just grapple this time. Yeah. <laughs> the funny yeah. thing about, about Hua is, though, it, Hua basically, you know, he came from shoot-a-box, but he, uh, his base really was was grappling and was kind of jujitsu coming up. Um, I didn't notice it until I, I read it today. I didn't realize that the only submission on his record is from Pride 32 when he knee-barred Kevin Randleman. Wow. So you would think of somebody with as many fights as he's had, um, you you would think he would have more. I mean, usually somebody right. picks up a rear naked choke or 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 something along the way, but uh, that's crazy. He's kind of used his grappling to stand up beating somebody down and and you know kneeing them in the face when they try to get up off the ground. So absolutely, uh, you know, great you know fun fight. Um, when it's the older guys, my. You know, like I said, I hope they beat the hell out of each other, but I hope neither of them suffer, you know, any kind of catastrophic injury that, that some older fighters can face. Sure. That brings us to the main event. Robert Whitaker, Darren Till. Uh, fun fight. Um, it, it's weird, you know. You, you, Whitaker had so many fights canceled, and, and he had his personal family issues that, that slowed down some of his stuff. And, um, you know, he's really become a fan favorite for a lot of people uh and, and then he gets and then he gets absolutely blasted by adesanya uh in his last bout um but that's proven to not really be that that's proven to not be a fluke in any sense of the in, in any sense of it adesanya is proving to become one of the the future stars if not current huge mega stars in, in ufc and darren um, till's a star on social darren media till is, darren oh up social media. he's got uh you know, he's got a continent behind him. Both these guys do. Um, I, for me, I, I tend to lean towards Whitaker. I just feel like he's the more complete fighter. Uh, but I, uh, you know, I've talked about it in the past when, you, you know, I know he lost to Wonder Boy, but it was kind of more of a, not a flash knockdown, but it was like a 40-second fight uh, when they fought. I believe that was at UFC 170. Um, his fight with uh, Adesanya was a more of a... Uh, he uh, butt kicking, you know, uh, one that you got to kind of recover from. So we and I talk about it all the time. You find out who the true champions are, how they rebound from basically getting your ass kicked because it tends to happen to everybody at least once. Um, so I, I curious to see how he bounces back. I will take Whitaker by decision win. I know that's five rounds, but I think he is just the better overall well-rounded mixed martial artist. Um, and I, I got to see how Till continues to adjust at 185 and kind of how his body fills out. Uh, although both these guys are up from 170, uh, Whitaker was in the cage with Romero twice, so I don't think there's any question that he can uh, he can body up with anybody. So I'll will take Whitaker by uh, by decision. Uh, what do you say, Hunter? Yeah, I fall on those Romero fights too that you just mentioned there at the end. I think those. More than any fights for me stick out for Robert Whitaker. And the case can be made, of course, that Romero won, or you can have your doubts of who won those fights. But what was shown in those fights was Whitaker's champion spirit and his well-roundedness, his ability to not just fall victim to Romero's power and explosiveness in wrestling and all these things. He showed how well-rounded he is and how he can dog out a fight if he has to. Like you said, Adesanya kind of tooled him up, but Adesanya's been doing that to everybody. So there's not not a lot of shame in that. I mean, I, I like Whitaker's game a lot. All of his losses, like you said, are kind of explainable. You can say, well, it was this guy. It was this guy. You know, he got caught by Wonder Boy. No shame in that at all. Darren Till, on the other hand, like you were just saying, um, how you view somebody's championship spirit by how they rebound from losses. 
Darren Till gets completely obliterated by Tyron Woodley, like one of the worst butt kickings. I don't know if we can curse butt kickings. Yeah, go ahead. That I've ever seen <laughs> in the in the UFC. First off, Woodley drops him with a punch and then just to- toys with him on the ground before choking him out. And then Masvidal puts him completely to sleep after that. And Till bounces back by going up in weight and gutting out a win over Gaslam. Not the most fun fight of all time, I'll give you that. But Kelvin Gaslam's no slouch, man. Like that, He's a beast, and especially on the feet. If you want to keep it on the feet with Kelvin Gaslam, you're probably going to catch those hands at some point. Even Izzy found that out. You know, Gaslam fought Adesanya as well as anybody to date. Yeah. So, I mean, Gaslam's a beast, man. And for Darren Till to outpoint him, to show that he could last with him, I think – you know, Till's got some momentum at 185 in my eyes. If you showed me this matchup a year ago, I'd be like, dude, Whitaker is going to obliterate him. But yeah. just just the way that things have changed since then, I think it's a very close matchup. I mean, I still favor Whitaker just like you, Matt. I think a Whitaker decision is a very smart pick here. That's what I would ultimately go with. But a Till victory, whether it be a TKO or, or a decision, is certainly not going to surprise me. Yeah, no, I, uh, I, I, I'm pretty much uh, on the same on the same page as you, Hunter. Only because, uh, I mean, like it's hard to pick against Whitaker because he's a former champion, and you know, Till's still making his way at the at the new, uh, you know, with the new numbers and stuff. So, um, the uh, we talked about uh, Kelvin Gaslam. I mean, uh, I know he got submitted just uh, last weekend, but you know, that was uh, that guy. The leg lock game is like a separate. It's like a whole other martial art, and and Gaston yeah. actually, actually was doing some things right in that fight, um, you know. But but uh, so was Hermanson when you go <laughs> for that type of leg lock. So it's like that's what happens. But um, and and uh, the thing about uh, Gaston said about that Adesanya fight that he laid out the bl- blueprint to beat Adesanya, and I firmly believe that. Um, but uh, anyway, for this fight, I, I I I'm leaning towards Whitaker, but I'm not going to be shocked if uh, if Till, you know gets uh, more popular <laughs> after the weekend. So no, I mean, I, it should be a heck of a fight. This whole card, uh, we only did the top few five, yeah. like uh, I said, 15 deep, lots of names, uh, cowboy Oliveira. Always oh, look exciting. At they, uh, it's weird. They have his image down here, but they don't have him. They up don't here. On the, on the main comes out. Chamaev. That's that guy. He only fought uh, the on that Wednesday card. And they got him. He said he wanted to fight another another fight on Fight Island, and this is it. I had heard they were booking this, and uh, this is the guy that got that first round victory over uh, John Phillips, I think was his opponent, where he kind of or second round victory, where he kind of just mauled him for the first round, and then Darsh choked him in the second round. I mean, this guy's going to be a problem. I, 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 that turnaround is ridiculous. If he pulls uh, this off, that's going to be incredible. But everything I've seen, he's a guy. I've seen his name popping up all over the place on Twitter. He's got a lot of hype behind him. That's a super exciting prospect for sure, man. This whole card, it really is a good card, man. I'm pretty pumped, actually, to fire this one up. Yeah, yeah. the Esparza-Rodriguez fight is is kind of a number one contender fight. Yeah. Uh, so that that's a, that's a big fight in the female divisions. Um, yeah, no, exciting, exciting fight. So, I mean, the UFC has really been on a sweet little roll right now. We didn't talk about the past event but we got about a couple more minutes here um just want to let everybody know delvison figure uh beat uh joseph benavides again so he is now officially the uh, flyweight champion the first one mm-hmm. in ufc since uh since Cejudo, uh vacated that's, the title that's correa's on this card for this weekend yeah, too. No, it's, it's, 
She's always fun. <laughs> no, there's there's a lot. You know, here's uh, the one I was looking for. Uh, John Castaneda was a uh, he was like a title contender over at Combate Americas, fought on Contender Series too. So I was actually happy to see that they tapped him to to come fight there. Nice. Yeah, no, I mean that for that's the opening bout right there. You got two guys with experience fighting each other. So I mean, like I said, they get comfortable because 15 fights. Uh, you know, five round main event could be a could be a long night of action. Uh, <laughs> but uh, what's on tap for you when you watch the fights, Hunter? <laughs> Ooh, man, uh, definitely some good food. Obviously, I'm always trying to cook up some good food. But as far as brews, I've, I've actually I've been sipping one on this broadcast. It's a brew gentleman. Ooh, there we go. Brew gentleman, General Braddock's IPA. Man, it's a local brewery here in Pittsburgh. They absolutely crush it. It's my favorite beer. Well, I actually feel really stupid that I didn't think to crack open a beer <laughs> on this on this thing. It's that it's that experience, man. This is what you learn. <laughs> what you learn. <laughs> you get to the big time edge. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Oh shit! Well, uh, yeah, it's been great having you on, Hunter. Uh, been a pleasure meeting you. Why don't you go ahead and plug your website again and any of your social media and anything anything you want to plug in the next minute or two here? Sure. the The website is homestech.com. It's h o m i s t e k dot com, and then all of my social is at Hunter A Homestech. Uh, Instagram and Twitter, I'm most active there. That's pretty much where you can find me. Uh, it's awesome, man. I, I'm loving this this new thing I got going, this new little project brand I'm building. It's been really rewarding, giving me time, like I said, to fall back into MMA because I did fall out of the sport for a long time covering just the Pittsburgh sports and everything. So it's cool to be back. Thank you guys for having me. It's been a blast. Hopefully we can do it again, and you can bring a beer next time, Ed. <laughs> yeah, I got so many just right behind me. And when I, I thought that was like an energy drink or something you were drinking because the shape of the can. And I, I know like, it's a, it's one of those little skinny like white claw cans, still twelve ounces, but it makes you feel skinnier drinking it. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. You know, uh, you know we ahead. need to. You know we need to do. I mean, we do. We are technically co-workers at My MMA News. If if uh, Eric ever needs a northeastern event covered, maybe we cover it like on a Friday, Saturday, and, and let's uh, do it. Do an old time sake uh, uh, meetup uh, somewhere. That'd be fun. You'll learn about the main event fighters, comic book addiction, and <laughs> favorite pizza toppings. You have no idea what happened in the fight, but we got you covered. On the <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, fans can check out the podcast uh, at allaccessmma.com. Uh, check us out on Twitter at Combat Hour, Coast to Coast Combat Hour on Instagram. Follow me, Matthew Hawkins, on Twitter and Instagram at MMAHawk21. Follow Ed Carbazal at Carbazal on Twitter, Carbeerzal on Instagram. Enjoy your uh, enjoy your weekend, guys. <laughs> enjoy uh, bare knuckle Bellator and uh, and fifteen UFC fights on Saturday. It's uh, this is what we love, and uh, I can't wait. Peace. Have a good one, guys. Later, man. Thanks for having me again. That was killer. No problem. Hey guys, Ed here, East Coast side of the Coast to Coast Combat Hour podcast. If you like what we're doing, make sure you subscribe on YouTube and anywhere you listen to podcasts. Also, if you'd like to help us out and donate, uh, the support links are in any of the uh, podcast descriptions and some the links are also provided on our YouTube channel the blog board jungle. 
Um, thanks again for listening. And if you give us some support, we'll give you a shout on the podcast. Maybe uh, bring you on for a UFC pay-per-view breakdown or two. Thanks again.